Today on CityCast Salt Lake, we're breaking down the stories we can't let go of this week. Political commentator Shireen Gorbani and KUTV's education reporter Chris Jones are both here. It's Friday, February 18th, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Happy Friday. It's Friday, which means it's time to reflect on the week that we've had and then immediately transition into looking forward to the weekend as far as I'm concerned. Chris, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for being here. Shereen, how are you doing? Things are good. Well, let's get into it. What's on your what's on your mind this week? Well, I've, I'm glad Chris is here because education is on my mind. And, you know, I, I listened to an education committee hearing today and, you know, there, there were five or six big issues on the table. Representative Tusher out of Jordan has been pressing a couple of big issues that would require teachers to uh, go ahead and post their curriculum. Uh, and that is something that a lot of teachers have a concern with because they feel like, look, we already are pretty transparent. Uh, and this just adds to an already daunting day for them. Uh, the voucher bill, of course, is one that is on everybody's mind. And then, of course, the trans uh, sports bill is one that uh, I think is is one of those that is really taking over uh, a lot of the conversation about this legislative session. And by the voucher bill, you're referring to the bill that would basically allow parents to use public school funding to enroll their kids in private school, which, as I understand it, the governor has said he doesn't love, but we still might see in some form. Yeah. And I think for me, too, this voucher bill um, disguised or, or renamed as a hope scholarship is, you know, particularly concerning. And to me, it really exposes that we know <laughs> that we are last. I think we're second to last now in the nation in terms of per pupil spending. So that means per student, the dollars that go into our schools are lower here than they are across most of the entire country. And, you know, the representative who uh, brought this forward, Perucci, is saying, well, you know, we believe that you you know, people, regardless of zip code, should have the best opportunity for education uh, possible. Couldn't agree more. But I think when we know, if you look at the landscape of where people are actually sending their kids to school, that's their neighborhood public school. Why aren't we making that the best educational option across this entire state so that all kids have the opportunity to succeed? The other issue, in addition to the dollars, is transparency. I mean, private schools... Uh uh, are, don't have to answer to the state. And so right. in terms of testing and in terms of exactly what they teach. As someone who isn't a parent, the lens with which I'm viewing a lot of these conversations about what's happening in our schools is that this is part of the culture war conversation, right? Like, why would you want to use public school funding to put your kid in a private school? Why are you demanding this level of transparency from teachers? This burden, it feels like, is about control. It's about having power over your kid's education in a way that Again, for me as like a non-parent, this is this is how I'm interpreting a lot of this conversation. Does does that feel right? Yeah, there there is a theme going on. Um, you know, it, we've we've been in the middle of a culture war about a lot of different issues, uh, the teaching of uh, critical race theory uh, or the lack thereof, um, issues regarding uh, social emotional learning. A lot of things have become very political, um, and you know, you're seeing these kinds of of, of bills sort of cropping up across the country. I want to shift a little bit to talk about this trans kids participation in sports bill as well. So this is really tapping into the culture war issues too. And basically what it's doing is putting together a commission to be thinking about things like, and, and this is where it just feels really 
icky to me, right? Like yeah. wingspan, um, you know, looking right. at the physical attributes of particular students. Height, weight, height, all that. weight. So when we think about that, you know, I heard people on the right and on the left talking about concerns that they had with our test to stay program because there wasn't really any space for medical privacy, like to understand, you know, who's getting tested, who has COVID, who doesn't. If you're concerned about that, if you felt like that was a messy system, get ready for something that is much more invasive, that is really something that can um, expose kids who are probably trying to just, you know, live their lives, participate in sports, build community, build resilience, but instead are going to be specifically called out in a way that I think is really uh, poorly constructed and not well thought out. But I will say this, this bill right now does not have the support of the governor. Now is a great time to reach out to your senator and you can look to groups like Equality Utah and others who have really outlined their concerns with the way that the bill is currently constructed. There is time to make this a better bill, but right now it absolutely does not deserve your support. And you know, a lot of a lot of the supporters of the bill say it's really about fairness and it's about making sure that, uh, you know, nobody feels left out um, and that everybody competes on a on a on an even playing ground. And then I've heard from opponents who say, particularly what you're talking about, Shereen, this idea of, I mean, are we pulling out tape measures? Are we? And and what does that all kind of look like? You know, that's feels like that's pulling a kid into a very that's a really sticky wicket if you're going to be pulling out tape measures and all kinds of strange yeah. apparatus to measure a child uh, so to see whether or not he or she can play a sport. I mean, I would go so far as to say it feels like we're getting into like eugenics territory. Like when we're talking about pulling tape measures out in our schools to determine someone's capacity, that's how that's where my head goes. Well, and when you think about really what we're asking people, like what sports are they playing and are we creating different standards for golf versus swimming versus football? Like the entire landscape of this is complex. I understand that. But this is not the, the way that this is currently drafted is not the solution here. Right, right. And I think, I mean, aside from the fact that in my personal opinion, this is a bill that is hateful and harmful. Another place that my brain goes with this kind of legislation is, okay, when Utah prioritizes this kind of legislation. We deprioritize the whole state, I believe. And and what I mean by that is like, I think a good example is um, recently there was a letter that was issued by a lot of the participants of the outdoor retailer conference. And they were saying, look, you know, the governor wants to bring OR back to Salt Lake from Denver. And if you guys do that, we're not going to participate in this conference. And that's because Utah, as far as conservationists are concerned, has a really bad record on protecting public lands, national parks and monuments. And so similarly, like we've seen a huge backlash when this kind of hateful legislation is passed. For example, they pulled the NBA games from North Carolina when they had the bathroom bill. And now, I mean, like, I can't help but think like Salt Lake is supposed to host the NBA All-Star Games in 2023. Are there going to be things when we embarrass ourselves with this kind of legislation on a national stage? What other kind of opportunities do we lose in this state? And is it worth it just to send a message to kids what that you have a problem with their bodies or their gender identity? I don't know. And to be clear, we're talking about really less than a dozen kids. This is not a 
this is a solution in search of a problem. And I think you're right, right? When we think about really what is going on in our schools, the fact that we have a mental health crisis with our kids, and, and actually our population generally in this state, when we think about the fact that people don't have you know access to adequate housing in the state, when we think about the air that we can't breathe, all of these issues on and on and on down the road, they get deprioritized in the broader conversation when we're focused on these fights that really are about culture war issues and not about good government. Speaking of affordability, I want to pivot a little bit into another dark corner of uh, Utah's many crises, which is housing. So I will tell you both, I don't go on Zillow anymore. It's bad for my mental health. I don't spend time there. But last week I had a relapse and I went on Zillow and I looked for houses or apartments for sale in Salt Lake City. And here's what I found. A one bedroom, one bathroom, 847 square foot apartment, no walls, no ceiling, no bathroom, cash offers only. You want to guess? You want to guess how much? Ooh, uh, half a million. 450,000. Okay, well, clearly you both understand the crisis even more than I do, because I was shocked that it was 350,000. <laughs> okay, that and that is, that's <laughs> terrible. Yep. This market is absolutely relentless. And for me as a renter, I wake up every day and think about what I would do if my landlord decided to sell my apartment. Um, and that gets me to my point, which is there is a bill that I'm very excited about in the legislature, HB 36, which would change how we currently define affordable housing to be 30% of a single person or family's income, including utilities. Whereas, as I understand it, our current affordable housing statewide is pegged to the average median income. So that means that when people are making more here, people are moving here with higher salaries, that sort of inflates our affordable housing. And so it gives me a little bit of hope that we're seeing conversations about affordability on the legislature, especially since from, my, from where I'm sitting, I look up at the hill and I see a lot of landlords and very few renters. And by that, I mean probably one or two. Um, and so the question that I have for you all is, do you own, what is your experience with this housing crisis? And do you think this is a bubble? Because every day I think less and less this is a bubble. It's interesting. I, I do own, I just bought in October. Um, and but, Congratulations. Thank you. But I had, give, I had given up, Allie. I was, you know, I'd been looking. Totally. And so I was getting pushed further and further away from the place where I wanted to be, which was near my son's school. And uh, at some point I just said, you know what, it's just not going to happen. I'm just going to have to rent. And then one day I just got lucky and I saw something uh, right in my price range and I jumped on it. And, you know, I mean, it wasn't perfect. You know, the kitchen is about as big as my size 12 shoe. It's small, but <laughs> I took it as the opportunity uh, to get into the, to the market. So I'm thankful for that. I don't think it's a bubble because um, we've done some reporting through another franchise that I do called uh, Growing Pain, uh, Utah Growing Pains. And what we found is that there is an extreme lack of, of inventory. So if you are a renter, we're seeing people and talking to renters whose uh, prices are going, you know, as soon as their lease is up, $500 uh, increase yeah. in their rent. So you're going from yeah. $1,300 to $1,800, right? Yep. You, you see all these apartments being built and you're thinking, okay, more inventory, right? That means prices will go down. Not necessarily. I talked to a guy with uh, rent.com who told me that what's actually happening is these apartments are high-end apartments. So the rent is expensive on those and it's driving the prices of rent even higher. So um, 
there's going to be a shortage, according to some of the developers that I've talked to, there's going to be a shortage for a couple of years. So my experience with it, I do own, and I'm lucky to be in the home that I'm in, but a big part of the reason I could afford this was because I had a parent die and I was able to sell that that house and was able to get in. Um, but there's, a, there's a, I think, like a larger kind of question here that uh, is from my experience being in elected office, which is that these housing decisions are incredibly difficult. I can tell you the, the most heat I ever took was on approval of a, a, of a development. And when I thought about, really thought about the voices that I was hearing there, and then also so the fact that we were, you know, I think conservative estimates are 40,000 housing units short, that's not even going to bring us close, right? So we, we need to make sure that the people that we're electing are doing careful and thoughtful work when it comes to what it looks like to build and to add homes. Allie, you might have to buy that place with no ceiling and no, no roof. <laughs> And just I can't pray. afford it. I'll be <laughs> honest, Chris. I can't afford that. I can't afford 350 Right. There was a house in my old neighborhood. Um, uh, and I, and I saw it, I was like, oh, that's interesting. It literally had no kitchen. It had no air conditioning. It had no subfloor and they wanted $650,000 for it. So yeah, it's, it's crazy yeah. out there. Well, my mom always used to say something's worth what someone will pay for it, dear. And she was right. Well, we've um, been in so many different corners here of all of our state's crises. And I guess the last question I have for each of you is what are you looking forward to this weekend? I'm going to say some clean air. I am I'm incredibly grateful that we've had at least wind or something kind of move through. We haven't had the storms that we need, but it's been a lot easier to breathe these last couple of weeks, and I've been grateful for that. Looks like we got a good weekend ahead. Chris, what are you looking forward to? I'm going to take my little boy to jump around so he can jump on a trampoline, and <laughs> which apparently <laughs> nice. is the only thing he cares about in life. You know, he's seven, so um, he's I'm going to I'm going to run him ragged and then put him to bed at eight o'clock and, and watch Netflix. That's what I, that's what I'm looking forward that to. That sounds absolutely dreamy. It's, it's, it's the absolute best. What about you? I'm headed to the Umoka tonight. They have five new exhibits, the Utah Museum of Contemporary Art, and they're going to have a DJ and it's a really fun time and it's like 25 bucks. And I'm just desperately craving some time in the community. I got to get out of this house. Yeah, I'm ready um, to get back out there. You can finally use those glow sticks that you've had in that drawer for so long, <laughs> That's right? right. <laughs> I'm going to put on my euphoria attire, glitter paint my eyes. Get, get out, out there. there. <laughs> get out there. <laughs> Thank you both so much for being here. Have a great weekend. You too. All right. I think that's enough news for today, but here are three ideas for your weekend. The All Together Skate Park is hosting a women, trans, and femme skate night tonight from 5 to 7 p.m. There'll be a food truck and, most importantly, a comfy space to skate. And entry's only eight bucks. You can find out more about the event there on Instagram at All Together Skate Park. Second, we're halfway through Free Fair February, and if you haven't taken advantage of it yet, or said it three times fast, maybe take the train up to Ogden this weekend for a nice brunch, you know? Go up north. It's warm. Final suggestion, sometimes I forget about the farmer's market in the winter, but it's still happening. Every Saturday from 10 to 2 at the Gateway. Maybe you want to get some chanterelle mushrooms or splurge on some cheese. I can never resist Aziza's baklava. I'll tell you this for certain, you deserve it.
That's all for us today on CityCast Salt Lake. We can't cover all the news in our podcast, which is why we have a daily newsletter. Madeline catches you up on everything the show doesn't and does her own reporting on the tastes, sounds, and vibes of Salt Lake. Most recently, I told her I thought birds were kind of boring, and she rocked my world with some info about the Cooper's Hawk. So this comes with a warning. You will be surprised and delighted. Subscribe at saltlake.citycast.fm. This show is produced by Nick Steffens and Diane Magipinto. Our newsletter writer is Madeline McGill, and our host is me, Ali Vallarta. Music is by Mitochondria. Have a great weekend. For us, it's going to be a long one. We'll be back Tuesday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.